For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 283 of The Freelancer Show. On our panel this week, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and we are going to talk this week about how to get yourself noticed. So, Jonathan, you, you do like you do a lot of coaching, and you talk to a lot of people at various stages. My impression is that a lot of people are like how I thought about things at the beginning, which is I will announce to myself that I am a consultant. I will maybe put it in like the tagline of my website, blog, email, and a week later, people will be calling me off the hook, like because you know they know that there's great this great new consultant in town. And strangely, that does not seem to work. And yeah. so a big problem that I talk to people about is how can you like how can you let people know that you exist so that they'll know that they should call you off the hook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something that I mean, talking about it from this angle is really interesting, I think. Uh, I mean, basically, what we're talking about is how to get more leads, but it's in a specific way. Like, how do you get more leads? How do you become... Uh, noticed in a way that's going to attract clients because you can get more leads a lot of different ways you can pay for them you can uh, get seo you can pay for ads you can do outreach there's lots of ways to get more leads but this is a particular one that is i think the most attractive to the the people i talk to because they feel like it's not as salesy they want to do something they want to put out a sign and have the world beat a path to their door like you just described and it feels more it feels nicer, I suppose, or it feels less pushy or something. So, you know, I, I think the general term for this is inbound marketing. And Right, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but getting noticed is a, a very, uh, to me, it's a, even a subset of that. It's like, how do you, I mean, how do you get noticed? You be different. Well, how do I be different in a way that matters to the kinds of clients I want to attract? Because you can attract bad clients, too. You want to attract more, better clients by doing something that gets you noticed. And I can, this is pretty, pretty straight page out of the Seth Godin canon of marketing materials, but you need to do something. You need to be remarkable. You need to do something that is different or unusual or, you know, gets people's attention. And, you know, saying that you have a brilliant team of people who, enjoy solving hard problems for wonderful clients that's not remarkable (laughs) oh i remember thinking that was a great thing to put on my website elegant solutions Uh. to complex problems i can't tell you how many times (laughs) i've read that and if you're if you have that on your website i promise i'm not calling you out specifically it's just it's like a virus on the internet everybody it's like everybody assumes that everybody else's website is working. So they kind of copy it, put their own spin on it. And it's like, but nobody's website's working. So you're copying the wrong thing. So well, well, I think it's more than that. I, I think it's that like, I mean, I, there was a guy who worked for me um, who said, listen, clients don't want programs. They want solutions, right? Which is, which is true. Mm-hmm. So he said, so what we need to do is say, we provide solutions. Like, you know, and, and not just like, he basically sort of stating the, the expensive problem thing but not as not not as a marketing statement more like we solve expensive problems <laughs> right right <laughs> which which really does not excite too many clients it's not credible you know it's too big <laughs> it's like you might as well just say we make you more money and it's it's just too you need to you need to find well you know from a from a positioning or a marketing standpoint you need to have a level of specificity that clicks with your ideal buyers your ideal clients it, you know something that's that's 
clear enough and specific enough to make them say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I need. But in a way that makes you not sound like you're just making stuff up. So it has to be specific enough. And, you know, that's why we always talk about using their language and, and talking to your clients, asking them what they value about your work. But t today, I think getting yourself noticed is a very specific thing. And it's not enough to say be remarkable because you're like, well, how, you know, how, how, how should it be different? I, I am different. I'm a special snowflake. I, you know, and then I ask people like, what's your superpower? And they'll be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm like, I write really elegant code. Okay, well, <laughs> here's the problem with something like that, and it might be true. The problem with something like that is it's not different because there's probably, yeah, I promise you there are lots of people who code, who write elegant code. I'm, I know you're not the only one. And clients don't care about that. It's not, they, they don't get that. It's like saying I hold my brush properly, you know, and I'm a painter. Oh, oh. Uh, you should hire me to be to paint your house because I hold my brush properly. It doesn't make sense. That's such a great analogy. It doesn't make sense to them. They want to know that their paint is not going to be peeling off their house in five years. You know, they they want to know that they're not going to feel embarrassed in their neighborhood because they've got the only house with peeling paint. So you need to think about it in the terms that your ideal client, not every client, but your ideal client is going to uh, going to is going to click with them. So. Uh, but again, I'm fighting not to just get into general marketing stuff, but to, to get yourself noticed being remarkable, I think is amounts to, you almost have to take some kind of risk. It always, it, it I'll just tell a quick story about this. So like for years, maybe not so quick knowing me, um, <laughs> I, I have the same problem. It's <laughs> I'm programmed to speak for 60 minutes straight. So for, for years I was in a rock band and, and back in the day in the eighties, nineties, uh, yeah, eighties and nineties, it was like you needed to market. Like it was like you had a small business and you needed to go out and market yourself. And I literally, literally would print up Xerox flyers of Xerox flyers, the Kinko's, and I would go around with a staple gun and staple flyers to telephone poles in areas where, you know, like college students would eat lunch and that kind of thing, like around college campuses. Uh, and you know, you, you can imagine a, a million things like that, but, uh, I tried and tried to try to send out physical postcards. Like I would on, on lunch breaks, wow. I would cut out postcards, sticks, lick stamps, put them on. I remember when actual sticker stamps came out. Oh my God, it was the best. But I would lick stamps, put them on these these pieces of paper that I printed out, cut out by hand to save on the Kinko's uh, paper cutter thing, and drop them in the mail and get try try and try and try to get people to come out to our shows. Okay, so that's that's back, and it didn't work. Like it it doesn't work. People people years later told me that they still had the postcards because they were. I used to do funny these funny collage things to try and attract people's attention. People would save the postcards. So they threw them out. Yeah, they, they would save them, but they wouldn't come to the show. So, so anyway, okay, so I tried and tried and tried. Lots of sweat equity, lots of boots on the ground work to try and get people to take action. Okay, fast forward uh, many years to, I think it was 2011, and I, I did the Jonathan's card thing where I did... But just on a lark, I, I don't want to tell the whole story again. I've probably told it before, but um, just quickly, I took a picture. I took a screenshot of my Starbucks uh, barcode that you can use to pay in the stores. And I posted it on my website. A couple of blogs picked it up. And, you know, I was like, you know, buy the world a coffee type of thing. And it, it, it within a week, it was on the front page of CNN.com with no... Wow real effort on my part whatsoever compared to walking around the fair street in Providence and stapling flyers on telephone poles. So the, the difference between those two things is being a rock band in the nineties was not remarkable. There was nothing remarkable about us that mattered to anybody who wanted to come to a show, but someone posting their private payment barcode for Starbucks on the internet was remarkable. It was, and in fact, when I did it, I got nervous. Like I, I had that pang of like, I wonder if I'm going to get sued. 
And I was like, and when I told my wife about it, she was like, that sounds like fraud. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't know, but I did it. So I hope I don't get sued. I hope Starbucks is cool. So did you ever hear from Starbucks about oh, it, by the way? I'm very oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When I was getting interviewed live on MSNBC, it got their attention. So, <laughs> so the, the point is, I'm, there, these are two sort of chapters of my life where I was doing this thing that was, it, at least we didn't come up with a way to make the band remarkable. We tried and tried, but nothing we did made it interesting or it, it's certainly to the point where somebody would like get up off of their couch and come to one of their shows. And then I did this other thing, which, and I think this is important, felt risky to me. It, there was something about it that scared me, but I did it anyway. And I, th I think that's a critical piece. It had never happened before, like literally never. Uh, and it was, it was special. It was unique. And it, and when people heard about it, they immediately told other people, they immediately got up from their, their chair and walked to a Starbucks to use the thing. It immediately in, uh, inspired action. So I, I think that risky part is important because risk scares people and therefore they don't and they don't want to do scary things. So if you do something that scares you, you're probably the one of, if not the only person doing it. If you're not doing something scary or risky, then probably everyone's doing it or enough people that it doesn't matter that, that you are yet another one. So you need to be different somehow. I'm pretty sure it requires that you take some kind of risk and uh, that risk doesn't necessarily need to be a legal one. Of course, it could be something like could be something like you're just drawing a line in the sand like I don't work with or, or I only work with credit unions you know something like that like huh I've never heard of a consultant who only works with credit unions or um, that's not even that strong I just just top of mind because that's me but something like that some sort of some sort of point of view that is going to tick people off that's another good one if you have a point of view that's going to tick people off contrarian type of stance that's automatically going to make you stand out. I think it's important to, to not do that in a way that's just annoying. Like, you, you know, don't just go be a troll. Like you need to have a defense right. reason why you believe that management starts in the middle uh, or something like that, you know, like middle out compression. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you can defend your position, I think that's why contrarian stances work because uh, if there's a, a, a kernel of truth in what you're talking about, you're opening yourself up for attack from people who would rather defend the status quo. So you're taking a risk in that regard, and it makes it makes you worth talking about. Remarkable. People are going to talk about it, make a remark. So, so however you do that, it's it, that's that's the tricky part. I, I know I, I can't tell anybody listening how to do that, or how to find that big idea that's going to make them stand out, or that unique position, or or uh, it's impossible. There's no way to predict what that might be for anyone, almost by definition. But I think if you, if you have one of those, if you sort of recognize that you have one of those things, like, I don't know, um, maybe you think that, um, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, a flame war thing. So like, like maybe you've got a reason why, um, some status quo thing that everybody just considers a rule, a law of your industry is just fundamentally wrong. Like hourly billing is nuts. That's my, that, I was going to say, I don't know anyone who thinks that. Yeah. I mean, that's a great one because somebody, you know, patting myself on the back, that's a, a I know it's a great one because people, cause it makes people angry. And, but then when they come at me with guns blazing, I can defend it. And I can, I can be like, all right, why is it not nuts? How'd you, how did you pick your hourly rate? Didn't you just pick it right out of the air? And they'll be like, no, it was market rate. It, and everybody else picked it a number out of the air. So everybody's just got this collective delusion about what an hour of time is worth, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go down that road, but, but it, it ticks people off. But when they fight me about it, I can, I can defend my position. So if, if dear freelancer, whatever it is that you do, uh, it has, you know, look at the laws, the assumptions, the things that you take for granted as just cost of doing business and, and question it. Like, do you, do you perhaps think that clients are right? The logo should be bigger, you know, and you can defend why that is the right move or why, um, yeah, I don't know, something like that. If you look at some sort of, 
almost like the physics of your profession and you and and you can come up with a reason why gravity doesn't actually apply in certain situ situations and you can stake your claim around that idea then all of a sudden you, people are going to start to notice I don't know. I'll get so it's interesting that you. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I, I, I think you're absolutely right that coming up with something sort of really unusual, and especially nowadays with viral stuff. And I mean, you have entire companies that spend all their time trying to think of viral things, which which makes it well. Anyway, um, but like, if you can think of something that really does make you stand out, that's great. I think one of the key things though is not just to stand out, but to stand out in your field, right? And so you don't want to just sort of. I mean, I mean, so so one, one way that people did it as programmers for a while, at least, was to go on Stack Overflow and answer lots of questions. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was around when Stack Overflow started, but I never really got into it. And I think it was about six months, eight months ago that I tried to start to answer some questions. And I realized this was a losing battle for me. Like the amount of time I was going to spend trying to find questions that no one had answered yet and getting enough points to really sort of stack up there. And then so I could get noticed it is just not worthwhile for me. So I think I have like five points on Stack Overflow total. Um, and I got like a minus two because I didn't format my code the way some <laughs> Python programmers like to. And it's like, oh, come on. Like that, that really, that was just like the end of it for me. Yeah. So well, there's an interesting point. I'll just interject quickly. Interesting point there. Perhaps for you, develop like the people who go on Stack Overflow are your audience, your buyer. But for most, most freelancers, that's not your audience. So Stack Overflow is not a good place to do that. You want to go places where your buyers are asking questions, not your peers. If you're training, Absolutely. that might be a little different. But but if you're selling consulting services or even if you're selling like your hands as a straight up freelancer, like I build websites, then going on Stack Overflow is the wrong place to be. Hacker News is the wrong place to be. You want to go someplace your buyers are hanging out. Right. That's something that, that you and I think Philip have also mentioned a lot on this show and I don't think I really thought about it in such, um, you know, clear terms before you had said it, but it seems so obvious now because at the end of the day, well, first of all, I mean, with training, I know that the people hiring me are training managers, but the people who are typically getting the training manager's attention are the developers. So by sort of showing off my developer chops, it is helpful. And um, so going to conferences and speaking there, excuse me, and going to uh, user group meetings and so forth and speaking there, that is very helpful because it sort of shows a combination of my technical ability and my speaking ability. And then someone's going to notice me and hopefully set up a phone call and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you're right that if you're trying to build websites, then your audience is not programmers at the company who might even see you as competition and be upset with the idea of bringing you in. You want to be noticed by the CEO or the CTO and they're not, maybe the CTO will be at one of these meetings, but the CEO definitely will not be. And so you have to go to, um, you know, their sort of conference and be noticed. Mm -hmm. But I think that opens up the door to lots of things because, and I think you have way more experience with this than I do. I mean, I, I guess I've spoken at technical uh, writer conferences and they are blown away by like, I just tell them about sort of the latest technology trends. Like, I think I did something about two years ago, about cloud computing. And they were like, whoa, we kept hearing about it, but now we understand it. This is amazing. And and I was not saying anything particularly new about cloud computing. It was just, let's put it in context so you guys will know what you're writing, you know, when you write that documentation that no one actually reads. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so I think similarly, you can go to a conference on topic X and say, here's how web technology, here's how design, here's how accessibility, here's how anything affects this. And the odds are, I think, pretty good that they're not going to have a lot of technical people or people with that angle coming in. So they'll both get excited about it and you will stand out. And the people in the audience are going to be the ones with the money who want to pay for it. And I should, I should also add that, and I, I guess I have like a vested interest in believing this, I think that being able to speak in public is a, a very uh, useful and important skill and the more you do it, the better you get at it. So it's very daunting the first time you get up in front of an audience. But over time, you get used to it until, oh, okay, I'm talking in front of an audience. This is fun. Yeah, and so absolutely. you should just do it. Like, do it a lot. And then even if you're terrible the first time, you'll get better the second time. And by the 10th time, you'll be great at it. And then the people who see you that 10th time will be like, whoa, not only does this person have a great perspective and ideas I hadn't thought about, but they present themselves so well. And little do they know that you've been giving the same talk 10 times over the last 10 months. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not to go down a, a tangent, but absolutely being able to speak in in public is a great skill because if you're going to be, especially if you're planning to do actual consulting work as opposed to freelancing, if you're going to do consulting work, you're going to be presenting to rooms full of people all the time. So you might as well get good at it. But I, I don't think it's an absolute requirement if you're a good, a really good writer. So you, it, it's... I think anybody who's running their own business, which is what you're doing if you're freelancing, if you're asking people for money, you're running your own business. And I think it's, those are two very important survival skills, being able to speak and being able to write. And you can be good at both. That's great. If you're amazing at one, maybe you don't have to be as amazing at the other one, but it really helps. It really helps. And if you're, if you're completely uncomfortable in person or on video, then at least be podcasting or something so that your voice is out there. It's a very, very persuasive way. I shouldn't say persuasive. It's a great way for people for whom you would be a good fit to find you and, and believe that you'd be a good fit. But we're, uh, to jump back a little bit to the concept of an audience in general and the, and the overall theme for today, which is getting yourself noticed, there's an, there's an implication there that, we, that didn't even occur to me until a couple of minutes ago, which is that you need to decide who you want to have notice you. Not everyone's going to notice you, and you don't want everyone to notice you. You want your buyers to notice you. So it's, you know, you don't want to just make a big splash. Like you're not selling, you're not selling Nikes. It's like, you don't need everybody to be your client. So I'm going to, I'm going to play Phillips violin here. You want to, it's very helpful. Let me put it like that. It's very helpful to pick who you want to be noticed by first and go get on their radar. It's not that hard. Like once you pick someone, it's really not that hard to get on their radar. It's really hard to get on somebody's radar if you haven't picked whose radar you want to get on. Like, how do I get on everybody's radar? Well, I don't know. Go on the nightly news. Like, but that's not your audience. <laughs> I, I often look, there's a, you know, I, I live near, um, in a city and there are billboards. And I, and I, sometimes when I'm going by a billboard, I think about how, what a waste of time it would be for me to, to, uh, pay for an ad on a billboard. It would, it would make no sense whatsoever. It would, there'd be hundreds of, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, thousands of people anyway, driving by that thing who are not my audience. And it might make me feel like, Hey, check out, there's my billboard. Isn't that cool? <laughs> but it we, might feel cool, but right. How many of the people driving by are actually interested run credit unions and need your sort of consultant? Yeah. Or like if I just put an hourly billing, just, just a giant billboard that says hourly billing is nuts and that nothing else. <laughs> so they go home and Google it. <laughs> Cause if you, if you Google that, you're going to find my book, but, but it's, it's just, it would be dumb. Even if it costs a hundred bucks a month, which is nothing, you would be dumb. It would just be a complete waste. Would, I honestly, I make me kind of look like an idiot, I think, because I'd just be so clueless about what, you know what I mean? Like what the value proposition was for the audience and the audience is a bunch of people driving down the road. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So. I think deciding who you want to notice is who you want to notice you is an important first step. And the generic answer to that is your ideal buyers, but you need to figure out who your ideal buyers are. They're almost, unless you're writing like software books or something or doing training, they're probably not your peers. So, you know, they're probably business owners, small business owners. Um, they're probably uh, department managers. They're probably... I don't know, human resources people, obviously it depends on what you do, but once you pick them, even if you just do it as an exercise, just think, you don't have to actually do it, but just imagine, well, who, well, let me think back to the customer. Oh, I really like that. Uh, you know, we always say dentists. I really liked working for that dentist. How would I, if I was going to get noticed by other dentists, like that client I work for, I wonder how I would do it. And if you think about your experience with that dentist and you think like, oh, I remember when I said something that, that to him that blew his mind about the point of a website, how websites work, uh, the, you know, the cost, like blow his mind. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, probably other dentists that are similar to the one that I helped would probably also have their minds blown by this piece of information. So if, if you've identified this piece of information that's going to get you noticed, what to them is a big idea. 
and you go to some place where dentists hang out, maybe it's a chamber, local chamber of commerce thing, maybe it's a meetup, maybe it's a conference, and you present that idea, you're going to be blowing people's minds. And then if then, well, guess what? Now you're on their radar. That's right. And, and I, I can't stress enough. Technical people are just blind to how much non-technical people or, or how little they know about technology and how uh, grateful and awestruck they are by people coming in and helping them with their business using technology. I mean, you might think, oh, well, it's just like, you know, I'm just setting up their, their browser or I'm just, you know, putting up their, their, I'm just connecting a database to a website. I mean, come on, how hard could it be? And for these people, like, it's impossible. It's just not possible. And the fact that you're able to put up a site for them or get, put them, uh, give them an e-commerce store, you are, you are giving them help that, that they would, it would otherwise just not happen. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're giving them a huge amount of value. And I think it was, um, Paul Graham, who once said something about how, like, you're an expert when you think that it's very obvious, right? Like, how can people not know this? Um, and so, but that's good, right? If you go in and you can just sort of, without breaking a sweat, put together a database, put together a website, then yeah, you're really going to blow people away when you do this. And if you can speak their language also, even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I also think a lot of people, even if they're competitors, if they're in the same sort of business, they talk. And so one of them is going to say to the other one, wow, you know, I, you know, I need, I need a website. The other one's going to say, oh, you do. I just had someone do it for me. And of course, every industry is a little different, but these people do talk to each other and they share ideas and it's just going to sort of self-reinforce. Yeah. Um, And you could even be proactive about getting, inspiring people to give referrals. Yes. Yes, that's true. So somebody, uh, someone on my mailing list sent in a link, just sort of like a, it had like a, a shock or like a scream emoticon and a link to Upwork. And this person was, I don't know why there was no explanation, but the link was to a search for video editors on Upwork, which is like a giant freelancing site. I suppose everyone knows that. And there were 144,000 results for video editor. And the top bunch of hits were like $7 an hour. So seven point. Wait, 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 you're, you're saying how many thousand, like there were thousands of people offering themselves as video editors on Upwork. 144,000. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is mind blowing. Right. But okay. So then, and most prominently featured in the, in the search results is the hourly rate. And it was like $7 an hour, $7.5 an hour, $6 an hour, $35 an hour. What, how could that per, where does that person get off turning $35 an hour? The going rate is obviously around $7 an hour. <laughs> so if you drill in a little bit more, you start to see things, you know, if you drill into any of these, um, actual profiles, it's like video editing, spreadsheet macros, web development, photography, you know, they're just like, do every, we do every, I'll do anything for $7 an hour, basically. You go to the $35 an hour one, it was just as bad, but the person lived in the U.S. instead of living in the Philippines or whatever. So you can imagine when someone who is, and I, I don't mean this in a mean way, when someone's clueless, customer is clueless, they don't know anything about the details of building a WordPress site or editing video. They know nothing about it. It is not your job to educate them about how hard your job is. You won't even have the opportunity to educate them about the intricacies of your craft. They're going to go to Upwork and they're going to search for video editor and they're going to get 144,000 results. They're going to, they're head in hand. They're going to hit the, probably the top five cheapest ones, or maybe not the cheapest, cheapest, but like the top five, like low cost ones. They're going to avoid the high cost ones because they're not going to, there's no way to compare these profiles, apples to apples. So how do you, I mean, how do you stand out? You know, you do have to stand out and by being everything to everyone, I, that doesn't do it. That's just confusing. But by taking a stand, by standing for something and, and having this idea, picking a particular vertical, speaking their language, that would pop off the page. I'm not saying you should use You shouldn't use Upwork at all, in my opinion. Like if you're if you're on Upwork now, you should be figuring out how to get off it. But 
you, the, the difference between somebody on Upwork and somebody who doesn't need to be on Upwork is, and is getting even a super high hourly rate or they're doing fixed prices as I'd advocate, the difference is that they stand for something. They have a big idea. There's something about them that's special and different. And, and this is probably the most important part, is something that their ideal buyers can understand. Because if, if you're just like spewing things about your tools and your, essentially your, your resume of like, oh, I'm, I'm Python 3 certified or something, you're like, they don't know. They don't know what that means. It's, it's, they don't know if that's important or not. So what do, they, what do they understand? They understand the price. They understand dollars. So they're going to look at the price and they're going to compare that apples to apples with everything else because as far as they can tell, you are an apple and everybody else is an apple. So you need to be a you need to be a watermelon somehow, and that means understanding their language and being like, yeah, if you want apples, go to Upwork. If you want a watermelon, you call me because I'm the only one. Do you run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Well, I'll just, I'll, I mean, I was on uh, Upwork's um, predecessor, Elance, for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of every so often when I'd have a dry spell, I'd go back there. Um, and I, I sort of convinced myself that, okay, this is worthwhile because I did get a few good clients from there. But, um, and maybe like one of them, I guess I've had them for more than 10 years. So like that actually did work out, but that was a fluke because the number of hours that I spent like putting into different proposals and things, thinking I could stand out with my, you know, uh, with my experience and my knowledge and my degrees. And at the end of the day, people there, they didn't even care. They don't want someone to stand out. They just want lowest price or close to lowest price just to do commodity work. Um, So it's very hard to stand out in place. I'll I'll give another similar example. Several people have asked me why I haven't started. I mean, I've started teaching courses online and recording them. And they're like, oh, you know what you should do? You should teach on Udemy. They have such a huge number of people going there. It would be great for you to teach there. And I was like, right, that's why I don't want to do it, because everyone is teaching there for $10, and I want to be able to charge more to a specific audience that's interested in the quality of what I'm doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And if I go to Udemy, that's like, okay, I want a Python course. Oh, look, there are 100 of them. How am I going to choose? This is why I don't sell hourly billing is nuts on Amazon. It's it's uh a big reason why I don't, is because if you search for it and it came up, What's it trying to do? It tries to sell you 10 other books. I don't want to. By, by the way, by the way, I just, I just heard the coolest thing about Netflix versus Amazon hmm. in terms of their, uh, uh, their algorithms. So like when you search for a movie on Amazon, like if you have Amazon Prime and streaming, it will show you things that are similar to like based on your interest in what you've seen. Netflix will also show you things that are close to what you've seen, but they'll show you more esoteric movies. And the reason is that they've tuned their algorithm to show you esoteric things because they pay less for those movies than they pay for the blockbusters. Mm-hmm. So so in the case of your book on Amazon, right, not only would it be up against all sorts of other books, but they might purposely sort of shunt it aside because it's self-published versus a pro publisher. And who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't want to play that game. It's the same reason why... Mm-hmm. You know, the app store, the, the Apple app store is to me, it's just a joke. It was, it's been a joke since day one. And I know like some people have, you know, fortunes have been made there, but it, it's just not my cup of tea because all of a sudden you're playing someone else's game. It's not a good place to go if you want to stand out because you need to get, you know, knighted by the powers that be, you know, you're basically playing the, 
this the music business came from the 90s which i hated back then and i i don't like it whenever i see it we've got this gatekeeper who's uh essentially keeping you down and all of these marketplace sites like you said you know if you need to keep the lights on, you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from, fine. Go to a job board, go to Upwork, throw something up there, 99 designs or whatever, and you'll probably make some money. That's cool, but it's not a plan. It's not like a, it's not like a, I mean, please recognize that that is an act of a desperate person and that what you need to do long-term, if you, if you want to build a durable business, what you need to do long-term is be getting your own customers and that's almost certainly is going, it, 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 it can't, it require. I'm going to go ahead and say it requires that you stand out in some way, and it's not. It's not going to be your skills. It's not going to be your craft. It's not going to be how you know amazing you are at resolving technical debt. It's none of that. It's words that your customers use that they will use to tell their friends who should also hire you because you got the website. Like this. Here's a here's a firm that builds a website in a day. Somebody says to them, "Oh, we love your new website." Yeah. I had these guys build it. It took them one day. No way. How much was it? I don't know. It was like 3000 bucks. Sweet. What's there? Can you give me right. your contact information? Like that's the way things happen. And, and you know, dear listener, you know this because this is how you buy stuff. When you go to buy something, right. what's the first thing you do? If it's a, it's a new kind of thing, it's maybe a little pricey. You don't know what you're going to do. You look for recommendations. You ask your friends. You read reviews. You do. That's what you do. And that's what your customers are going to do. They're going to ask their friends, hey, do you know anybody that does websites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it needs to be whatever the, whatever the thing that you're getting noticed for, it needs to be in the language of your ideal buyers if you want to keep attracting more, better buyers. So we had on the show years ago, I think before you, you came on, I don't remember who it was, but someone who said, you want to get lots of people. You want to get lots of leads. You want people like to, to contact you. You should blog a lot. Um, and I sort of took this to heart. I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can, do, I can do a lot of blogging. And I started blogging on a regular basis on all sorts of technical topics. And um, like, I sort of expected that after X number of days or X number of weeks of blogging, suddenly, once again, you know, the phone's going to ring off the hook. And it doesn't quite work that way. But also you have to think about what you're writing and who you're writing it to. And here, I think the audience is really, like, really, really important. So if you're, again, like me, if you're doing training, technical stuff, I use my blog to attract people to my mailing list, to buy my you know, products and services, and to say, hmm, this guy knows what he's talking about. We could use Python training. Let's give him a call, which does sometimes happen. But if you're trying to sell the dentists, right, like telling them how great your website is, um, and putting up PS, this was for a dentist, is not going to do it. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I mean, Jonathan, I have to assume though that if you're interested in selling to dentists, or I mean, do do you? I I actually don't think you do. Do you write stuff like on a blog or on LinkedIn or somewhere about how credit unions can use mobile technology? Like, is there a place that people can sort of found find your wisdom on the subject, or or do you not go that route? Yeah, interesting. I think there was a time when blogging was more effective than it is now. That's one thing. And the other thing is, I think it could still work if you're like insanely, painfully laser focused. So, you know, on your buyers and on the specific, like, you know, something like uh, I do a blog, a, a series of blog posts on conversational banking. I'm actually thinking about launching like a limited run podcast of like 10 or 20 episodes that's just about banking with uh, voice computing. and. So that's that's something I've got slated for this year. I'm going to try that out and see how it works. It's a perfect format. It, audio is a perfect format for conversational computing, of course, because then you can kind of hear how it flows. It wouldn't make sense written. But to answer your specific question about writing, uh, what I do is I have a, 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 I don't know, maybe 50 thought-provoking, challenging, not contrarian necessarily, but but just challenging, thought-provoking uh, posts loaded into a social media scheduling service called Meet Edgar, which go out in a rotation on LinkedIn. So if you go to my LinkedIn profile, which is where I do all of my credit union marketing activity, there's a lot of that. So, uh, but that's not the, that's actually just for sort of secondary credibility 
the primary thing that I do on LinkedIn is actually re, uh, connect with people and, and direct message them and say, hey, you know, is mobile going to be a big thing for you guys in 2018? Just curious. Uh, or, hey, great job on the mobile app. I saw you guys just launched and it's like 4.8 in the App Store, app store ratings. Well done. Um, you know, just like start conversations directly with individual people. And then if they go, hey, who the, who the heck is this guy keeps bothering? Who is this dude? You know, and they clicked my profile and the profile is like 100% top to bottom. And weeks and weeks and weeks into the past, months into the past, is just speaking exactly to that buyer. So like, huh, this guy's like, this guy knows what's up with credit unions and he obviously knows what's up with mobile and all of this sort of new digital channels. Huh, you know, gets him thinking like, maybe we should talk to this person. So that's sort of my, it's, and you can, you know, that's, that is way, way, way more targeted than like, oh, I'm going to post like some conversational computing blog posts or like mobile for credit unions on my WordPress blog. And maybe somebody will Google for something. Like, I just don't, again, I, I'm not going to play the SEO game. I don't care about that. And you don't need to. I only need like two credit union clients a year to have a killer year. So if I'm reaching out to, to presidents and CTOs and CMOs directly on LinkedIn and they're connecting with me and they're engaging with my content, then like it's, it'll happen. Like, and it's so much less work than like every week writing a thousand word blog post about the, you know, whether or not angular is useful in, uh, in the credit union space. Very interesting. I never really thought of direct contact as like a replacement for blogging. Um, but I, I can totally see what you're saying. Also, I mean, if you're, you're sort of, I guess your replacement is sort of, not only the personal contact, but because on LinkedIn, you're constantly um, sort of posting new content, using media editor to do that. So they know that you're in this space. You're not just sort of randomly spamming them. Right. And then they, if they look at the profile, then like, geez, huh. And I make them think. And then if they, if they take one step further and click through to my site, the entire site is completely oriented around this type of person, not credit unions in general, specifically presidents and, you know, like chief executives or like, you know, the leadership, like, like could be board of directors, could be CEOs, could be CMOs, but like the top brass at credit unions. So the, the thing that, the thing that's important there and, you know, uh, direct outreach is, I'm, I'm sort of like pouring gasoline on. It's like a very proactive approach to getting noticed, but you can't I don't think it would be effective if I just did that. It needs, you need to have also you know, the, the social media profile needs to be in line. The website behind that needs to be in line. All of your, anything that they're going to come in contact with needs to be laser focused for you to stand out like a watermelon and be like, and then be like, I'm not going to go to I'm not gonna find this dude on Upwork. There's like somebody like this isn't going to be on Upwork for $7 an hour. You know, it's like I, I'm presenting to them a, a challenge almost, you know, like if you want to, in, in the case of credit unions, I'm, I'm definitely presenting them with a challenge and saying, look, no. this is an industry that's on the brink. And if you want to continue to maintain relevance for the next 20 years, you need to do something rad because, you know, the stuff, you know, lower checking account rates or whatever, it's not going to cut it. You banks, big banks are going to beat you every day, like all day long on that. So I'm presenting a challenge to them and it's, it's very unique. It's very individual. It's not something that they can just go pull off a shelf somewhere. And it's only going to be attractive to people who are open to the idea of challenging the status quo, which is critical because I can't do good work with someone who doesn't have that mindset already. I can't go in to, this has happened before when I've been brought in by a board of directors who is a little bit more forward thinking than like the management and it turns into a, 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 like a turf war because, you know, like the president doesn't want to make these risky changes. I'd rather just retire in three years. And the board's like, no, 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 you need to turn the ship around. And they're like, nah, I don't think, I don't see it that way. 
<laughs> so for me to attract someone who is very is very pro status quo is a really bad fit for me. It would just be a waste of time. So all of my all of my stuff in the credit union space is heavily oriented around that concept of like, look, this is an existential crisis for credit unions. They're getting squeezed out on both sides. If you see that, then then the then the material that I'm posting is going to click with you. It's going to turn on light bulbs. It's going to energize them. They're going to want to talk to me, not someone like me. And I have to imagine someone like one of these, you know, CXO types, top brass at a credit union, they are inundated with marketing of all sorts all day, but not on this front, right? Like it's how many people contact them saying, hey, let's talk about your mobile uh, strategy. Right. Yeah. Probably they get, you know, 10 calls a day about their computer system or security or marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. But this specific little niche, they don't hear much about it. And it piques their curiosity also because, again, they don't know much about it. Like they know they use a smartphone. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like, who knows? Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not like I'm not getting millions of leads. That's for sure. But the ones I get are like ready to rock. You know what I mean? They're like, let's go. <laughs> very nice. Very, very interesting. Um, I mean, I've definitely found like I, I, I mentioned already the blogging. Um, we, we we talked a little bit before the uh, starting to record that you know I wrote for Linux Journal for many years. It looks like Linux Journal actually is coming back, much to my very pleasant surprise, as of twelve hours ago, as of this recording. And I was convinced for years that if I have a common Linux Journal and it's read by for a while, it was like a hundred thousand people a month, then clearly I'm going to be getting lots of leads. No. If I got five clients or five leads over the 20 years I wrote the column, I would be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, people are not so people are not inclined to make that leap of logic, uh, which is a hard which was a hard lesson for me to learn because I sort of figured, okay, people see that I'm an expert. They see in my bio even every month for however many years that I'm a consultant, um, right? So they'll call me up because expert plus consultant means they're available. But if you think about it, like when was the last time you read something in a newspaper magazine and you were like, you know what? I am calling that person to help me. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it does not happen. You say, wow, that was a really interesting article. And if you're really enthusiastic about it, you will share it on Facebook. Um, But like that's that's basically as far as it goes. So it was nice to have that content. It was nice to build up for myself. It was nice to sort of have street cred with the technical folks. But you really do have to choose carefully sort of who you're reaching out to and how um, because I was noticed but not by not by the right people, not by the hiring people. Right. I, I think flip to flip it, I think it's valuable as a marketing, uh, as a, a sort of second tier marketing credibility indicator. So it's the kind of thing where your primary marketing activities would maybe drive people to your website or to your, one of your social media profiles or wherever you're driving them. and. Oh, oh! by the way, he's also been a monthly columnist for Linux Journal for whatever, 10 years. Or you're an editor of, you know, I was a, a technical editor for FileMaker Advisor Magazine back in the day when that mattered to somebody. And that sort of sets you apart from the, as Philip would call, the crab bucket of other freelancers. <laughs> and, but, but on its own, I agree with you. It's not, it's not going to, as a primary marketing activity, it's not going to necessarily, it's probably not going to get you clients because your buyers aren't reading Linux journal, your peers are. So it gets to, I right. assume, which is why you got so few leads. So if you, and, and that was actually the case, uh, that was not the case with FileMaker Advisor because it was such a small community that people, it was even, it was even actually read by buyers. It was weird. Um, typical sort of platform thing. Like if, if there was a magazine for Facebook ads, then probably people who bought Facebook ads and bought Facebook ad consulting would probably read it because it's a very specific platform play. Uh, but something right. as broad as Linux is just way too, it's just way too big. There's just so many angles on that. But, you know, and people who are, are they're probably millions of buyers who are using Linux in their business every single day and don't even know. Right, right. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember once that my, uh, the, the movie screen on my airline seat was not working. So the flight thing comes over and it's like, oh, okay, fine, I'll reboot it. 
and she you know presses some button. She has no idea what she's doing, right? Presses the button, and I see the Linux boot screen come up. <laughs> Thinking to myself, oh my god, like I've been using this for so many years. I write all about this, and I'm sure that except for you know the technical team that installed it, no one in the purchasing chain and no one who like deals with the budgeting for it or so forth has any idea that there's Linux in here. They just know, oh, we paid hundred dollars a seat, two hundred dollars a seat per month, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and they're done with it. Yeah, there's a so there's a great example of how you could take a horizontal and immediately flip it to a vertical. So you say, oh, all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you know what? Let me do some quick math. How many of these screens are on this plane alone? Okay, uh, 150. All right, how many planes do they have? Oh, 700. All right, so the product pain is all right. Who buys this stuff? And now all of a sudden your Reuven Learner, you know, seat back entertainment expert. Because it turns out that it's all based on Linux. So you're like, oh, I'm going to do quality of service. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my Linux skills to build quality of service into seatback entertainment on Southwest Airlines or whoever. And now you're using the exact same skills but focused into a particular vertical where the buyers do give a care, so to speak. So they're like, oh, yeah, our seatback entertainment keeps crashing and people are killing us in social media about, you know, I pay an extra. I swipe my card through the thing for my whole family and then the thing just crashed. The stewardess didn't give me any assistance or the flight attendant didn't give me any help. They tried to reboot it. It didn't work. It was super slow. It can just, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, are those, hey, are these social media reviews bumming you out? I'm a seatback entertainment reliability expert. Which is just another way of saying Linux networking expert. Exactly. But key to their vertical. Their problem that they see, the expensive problem that they recognize. By the way, um, I, I flew up, I guess it was six months ago on LL, which has a novel solution to the seatback entertainment problem. They got rid of them. And instead, they say, download such and such an app to your phone and use the Wi-Fi on our flight. And then you can watch movies on your phone. Mm-hmm. Whoever made this decision was col- a colossal idiot. <laughs> like, like, no one wants to be messy with Wi-Fi settings on a flight and then watch movies on their phone. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they I mean, I know what they were thinking, which was let's save some money, mm-hmm. but um, definitely not, not a, not a wise choice. Um, in, in any event, right, right. I mean, I think basically all you need to do is take those skills and like hone them a little bit or, or sort of tweak them a little bit. So you're speaking the language of the person you're talking to. And I have to assume, just take this like seatback entertainment thing one step further. I have to assume that in an hour or two of searching online, I could find reliability. I could find complaints. I could find vendors. I could find all that I need to know really to have a conversation, not sound like an idiot about it mm-hmm. and start to give some you know, practical suggestions. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could probably, you could do some, you know, if you spent half a day researching the entire space, you'd have a giant list of information that would probably be fun to find out about. You know, it's like one of those things that's in everybody's life that you know nothing about. You're like, oh, wow, check that out. You're like, oh, here are the big vendors. There's three big vendors because there's always three. There's one big one. There's like a second that's, you know, nipping at their heels. And then there's like a distant third. Like, okay, these are the big players. Uh, These two use Linux. This one uses um, some variation of Windows, probably XP. And then like, okay, um, what airlines use this one? Okay, this these two that are the Linux ones. Okay, uh, who is responsible for this? At the airline, you could probably figure that out relatively quickly. You probably have to contact some people, but find out who's responsible for it at the airline, and then boom! All of a sudden, you've got some you've got some research phone calls set up where you say, "Hey, is this a big deal? Like, I was on this flight the other. You've got a story. I was on a flight the other day, and this thing failed. I'm a Linux guy. I saw that it was Linux, and it seemed like you know, do you guys care about this? Does this matter? And all of a sudden, you're having like a very interesting business conversation. Right, right, and there'll be delay that someone actually cares about this and wants to improve their, uh, their 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 profile online. Yeah, typically, I mean, they're like they people don't get a chance to talk about their their job very often. No one cares. Their boss doesn't want to hear it. Their employees either already know or don't care. Their spouse doesn't care. They're sick of hearing it. You know, or they don't get it, or they don't want to get it. There's no one to talk to. So if you if you set up a research call with somebody and ask them to just tell you about their job, they will gladly do it. I mean, once I mean, once if they agree to get on the phone call, once they're on the phone, they won't shut up. Right. Right. Anyway, so, you know, I think 
the, the I think the spirit of the title, you know, how to get yourself noticed. I think the spirit of it is an inbound marketing play, how to do something to make yourself stand out in order to attract leads. So I probably, if we were going to, if I was going to summarize, it's like first pick who you want to have notice you and then do something remarkable that is going to get them talking to each other about you. And immediately you turn from apples to apples to like apples to watermelon. And they're like, huh, how do we get in touch with this person? And it, it takes a long time. I mean, that could easily take 12 to 24 months for that transition to happen. But, you know, if you can make some money on job boards and Upwork and with your existing clients now to keep the lights on and, and start building toward that, uh, you know, that's, I think that's a, an approach to building a really durable business. Right. And I, that point that you just made now about it taking time, this is critical. There's so many people who are like, well, right, I'm, I'm going to get started. And how, how soon do you think I'll have this working? And these things take time because it takes time for you to learn language, it takes time for you to do that outreach, it takes time for people to hear about you. Like all these things do take time, but, but they're worth it. Right. Yeah. And this is why I say to people, like, it really helps to pick something you actually care about and isn't just a money play. Because if it's just a money play, you're going to want to get results much more quickly than you're probably going to. If it's something you actually give a damn about, it's going to be fun doing it, you know, because you can go out, you know, like our, to keep using myself as an example, but I'm, I, it is fair to say I am genuinely on a mission to rid the earth of hourly billing. I despise it. I think it's bad for everyone. And when, you know, and I get a lot of good feedback, but I don't get great feedback every single day. And I get some people that, you know, yell at me, especially on Hacker News, call me crazy or whatever. But all of that stuff fades to the back because I actually care. And when, when I, and it, it causes me to pay more attention to the positive feedback that I get, even if it's just feedback and not dollars. Uh, and it sort of is enough to, it combined with my inner motivation. It's enough to like keep me going through periods when, you know, a lot of trolls come out of the woodwork, let's say. And, you know, and before you know it, like you have a huge body of work. Like if you care about this stuff and you're constantly talking about, about essentially the same thing from different angles, you end up with a huge body of work very quickly, which you could also call content marketing where or educational content marketing, where you've got this, it's got, maybe it's blog posts, maybe it's LinkedIn status updates, maybe it's emails, maybe it's podcast episodes, but whatever it is, you're going to end up with a lot of them really fast, relatively speaking. And you'd be like, wow, like I look back at 2017, I sent almost 400 emails last year, like articles. This, you know, what's that? Oh, wow. You know, it's like, that's, it's insane. It doesn't feel like that much work, but when you look back on it, it adds up very quickly. All right. Uh, I think, I think we've covered this pretty well. We should probably head into picks. Um, you got anything for this week, Jonathan? This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. I'm going to pick your interview with Philip. So, oh. yeah, I listened to Philip's dev, dev Shop Marketing Briefing, I think they're called, DSMB, and it was, um, uh, well, you, you, I don't know what it was, actually. It was like, I guess you guys did like some sort of video chat, and you talked about training, basically. And it was... It was great. So fans of Ruben's sense of humor, <laughs> it was it was center stage and on display. And it was really, for folks who are thinking about going into a training, you know, route where it's a little bit more acceptable to appeal to your peers and maybe a little less to your buyers because the buyers are probably going to ask your peers, then uh, you should really check that out. It was a really fun interview. I thought it was super valuable and entertaining. Wow. Uh -oh. Thanks yeah. very much. You're welcome. Um, 
Anyway, this week I'm going to uh, pick uh, Podia, which is the new name of Coach or with Coach. Uh, I've been using it to sell stuff, I think, since mid-November. So as of this writing or as of this recording, it's about six weeks. And I am extremely happy with it. Uh, first of all, I did a product launch, my weekly Python exercise, and it went smashingly well. And I'm convinced that no small part of that was because uh, Podia took care of the sales. I mean, they claim they have very high conversion rates. And I'm sure that lots of other things I did helped. But it, it was very nice that uh, that it worked the way it did. Um, their service is extraordinary. Really, I know they, they told me this was going to be the case before I started. But um, they have, I think they use, yeah, Intercom. And so you can go to their website and you can sort of send them a message. And very, very often within a few minutes, you'll get a response back. It's taken at most, I think, half a day to get a response back from them. And I'm including weekends in that. So um, so I've been very impressed. They're very nice. They keep adding new features. They just had this membership feature, which I can't use because it uses Stripe. And I'm outside the U.S., so I can only use PayPal. But they promised me that's going to be coming soon. And uh, anyway, I'm I'm happy to have moved my stuff there. It's so much better than running my own e-commerce shopping cart. Oh my goodness, boy, I was foolish. <laughs> and um, <laughs> lessons that we all learn ourselves. Uh, and um, and they've got sort of more and more integration going. So people like me who use Drip and not ConvertKit, which is their default, supposedly will get some better integration in the future. So uh, the name is silly, Podia. It's like plural of podium. But they, I, I, I had all sorts of conspiracy theories about why they switched from coach or with coach, and it turns out they were all wrong. Uh, they decided they were just getting tired of getting support questions or or customer service questions from coach handbags. That'll do it. Which I, I did not, I did not expect at all. And apparently, the, the greatest irony is they said after they made the decision to change the name, coach handbags changed their name to Podia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Put your bags. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Jonathan, thanks for a great conversation as always. And uh, thanks to all of you listening. And we will be back next week on the Freelancer Show. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.